A circle has infinite possibilities. The circle is fluid, flowing, ever-growing. Because when we teach, we learn. We are all equal parts of the same circle. The end is a new beginning. Now more than ever, we need to come together. The circle is all of us. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This show is written, produced, and engineered in Wuchen, occupied Ohlone territory, a.k.a. the East Bay area. On tonight's show, we hear Yoni Kibat readings from the South Asian Sisters and an interview with some of the performers themselves, including co-founder Sapna Shahani. Please stay with us for this special International Women's History Month show. Welcome back to Full Circle. In 2003, the South Asian sisters produced and performed the Yoni Kibat, their take on Eve Ensler's vagina monologues. Yoni Kibat, as roughly translated from Hindi, means conversations about the vagina. Full Circle producers invited the South Asian sisters to the KPFA studios to read some of the Yoni Kibat stories and reflections. Sapna Shahani, my friend and station manager at Berkeley Community Media, helped to organize the talent. We share these readings tonight as a first voice shout-out to women during Women's History Month. There are stories of anguish, some of whimsy, and some of the language is graphic, so parents should use discretion if youngsters are listening. Now let's tune in to some of the readings from the South Asian Sisters. Sometimes the storyteller is identified, sometimes not. Bathe me. Bathe me in aromatic water. Light some candles. My vagina likes to be taken care of. It likes to spend quality time with me. Sometimes it can be very demanding, but I don't mind. Sometimes it's like taking care of a baby. I have to nurture it, give it haircuts, and rub it when it won't go to sleep. Shh, breathe. She is quiet, so quiet in contrast to the noisy world, hiding inside folds of flesh, fragile and trembling, a little girl's personality, stuffed like the pink, fleshy, seeded insides of a watermelon in a yellow and sea-green shell. The hard world pushes inward, with equal points of pressure on her shell, saved only by the balance, not by the intention or insight. She's afraid one day her shell might crack, turning her soft, moist pillows inside out, blowing the feathers off her trembling willow, leaving a hard and lifeless slab. 
She belongs somewhere else where long, deep healing breaths are not endangered, where sacred spirits ride on winds gently flowing in and out of her, giving life. Shh, breathe. Brown bodies. One hot Friday. Soul and body love-making. In blood and sweat and swallowed tears, the noon sun drenching our brown bodies while we chat over chai and cherries. 11. When I was 11 years old, I got my period. Most girls have friends they talk to about it and they're all giggly and excited. I was not. I was horrified. I mean, I knew it was coming eventually, just not then. It was embarrassing. Unwanted. It forced me to talk to my mother about things I'd rather not have. Anyway, not long after this unfortunate event, I found myself homesick from school. Seeing as that I was old enough to get my period, I was also old enough to stay home alone. So my mom had gone to work and I was alone with Brady Bunch reruns and instant soup. At some point in the afternoon, the phone rang. The caller, who told me he was a doctor at Kaiser, asked to speak to my mother. When I told him that she wasn't home, he asked me how old I was. Eleven, I replied. <laughs> Looking back on it now, I can tell that the wheels were turning in his perverted little mind right then. Uh, do you get your period yet? he asked. Yes, I replied, totally naive. How would you like to participate in our survey? he asked, perking up. If there was one thing I loved, it was surveys. I would fill out every quiz, questionnaire, and consumer information sheet that came my way. This was to be my downfall. After I agreed to help out the medical community, the doctor asked me to find a pair of red high heels in my mother's closet. I have no explanation for why I did as he asked. I think part of it was that I actually believed him, and part of it was that he made me feel like I was doing something dirty. I can't say for sure that I didn't really know what he was up to. Despite the fact that I was only 11 years old, and this man was taking advantage of my innocence, I felt that I was the one in control of him. I could control the outcome of his survey, and I could choose to stop indulging in his fantasies whenever I wanted. After the high heels had been procured, he asked me to take off my clothes and massage the vagina and describe what you see. What does it look like? This man was clearly a pervert, and somewhere along the way it, it dawned on me that he was the only one getting any fun out of this. I poked half-heartedly at my genitals, exaggerating my description of what I was doing. Then I hung up. Later on that day, I told my mother what had happened, and a few months later, a letter arrived in the mail from Kaiser, explaining that the police had arrested a man who claimed to be a doctor at Kaiser and was molesting women over the phone. <laughs> I felt vindicated and yet stupid at the same time. I was probably the only person who had gone along with this little silly, stupid little game, but because I was so young. And it was only because I was so young that I found the incident scintillating, dirty, exciting. If the same thing were to happen today, I would tell the pervert goth and slam the phone down. But as a young girl, the line between exploitation and eroticism had not yet been clearly defined. My Spicy Vagina The first time I heard the word vagina was in my 7th grade biology class. 
Sex education was the topic, and all of us school kids squirmed with excitement and embarrassment in our seats as the teacher explained reproduction. It was there amidst a chaos of words like copulation and procreation and ovulation that vagina first fell upon my ears. Until then, as crazy as it sounds, I simply had not heard the word. I knew I had one, but it was my pishy place. Put blatantly, folks, my brown lips were a tunnel, a place that only came to mind in the bathroom. After my biology class, I would think of my vagina clinically for years. Dangling somewhere between pishy place and science, it would take me several moon cycles before I ventured between the deep, dark folds to experience an orgasm. My family's originally from Pakistan, and they immigrated to America in the 1970s when I was a baby, with a baby vagina. I grew up in L.A., and at home, my parents never mentioned the word vagina to my sister and I. In fact, we operated as though thoughts of sex and body parts didn't exist. They were simply not a part of the human experience. If someone blurted out the word sex by mistake, one would think it was a fabish pronunciation of the number six. And if my parents had said the word vagina, it would have been pronounced vagina. I'm so convinced of this pronunciation that every time I see my naked body in the mirror, the word vagina intuitively pops into my mind. I picture my parents in matching green salvad kameezas, dancing arm in arm and singing the word over and over again in unison. It's very disturbing. They're smiling so broadly, I think of Lucy and Ethel on the I Love Lucy show. And it's at this point I consider going back into therapy. Anyway, it's not entirely their fault. I was a prude since birth, one of those annoying good girls who loves everything and everybody. A kid hits me on the school playground and I'd say, I'm sorry. A friend asked for my opinion on her atrocious new haircut and I'd say, you look fantastic. An auntie tells me I've gained weight and I'd laugh maniacally like she just delivered a compliment. Such has been my weakness. People call the monthly bleed the curse. For me, the curse has been over niceness. In high school, if my hands accidentally brushed against my vaginal region while towel-drying my body after a shower, I'd say, excuse me. As you can see, I was bound to be a late bloomer. Bloom I did, however. I've recently come to love my brown, wet, slimy, and spicy vagina. Yes, masala her up with a little cumin and turmeric, and va. As a kid and a teenager, I never poked or prodded my vagina and the few boys I was intimate with were never offered admission. I would have made a good security guard at a movie theater, preventing kids from going into R-rated movies. Anyway, I just didn't understand fingering, and to be honest, I still don't. And I think of the word vagina less as a derogatory mark of my flawed heritage or my fobbish parents, but as a celebration of my own spicy brown skin. The word vagina is a sound, and the sound is a river, and the river is a gift. And my gift is the proud, strong, beautiful, and searching women in my life, both from the East and the West, who celebrate the importance of the sacred O as their sexual richness and the cosmic circle of all womankind. We deserve pleasure. It's what makes us whole, a full circle, the multicultural cosmic Oh. Peanut.
He was called Peanut because of his stinku stature. He was the boy next door. When I was 13, Peanut and I became curious about sex. This thing sex was even more enticing because we knew nothing about it. It seemed from all the Bollywood movies we watched that putting a garland around a bride effectively impregnated her. Because in the very next scene there was the cliched infant boy crying and all the happy instrumental music in the background. Who would have thought it actually took body fluids? One day, having been left alone at home with no one around, we decided to see what all the fuss was about. But I was vaguely afraid of this pregnancy thing. What with my reputation being doomed for life and all that. So we kept our clothes on and to be extra safe, inserted a pillow between our bodies as we lay on top of each other. It was so disappointing. but there wasn't much to it. We tried squirming around for a little bit, but since neither of us were very aroused, we went back to playing blind man's buff in our adjoining Bombay flats. You touched and felt, rubbed your fingers in between. You thought you were being soft and nice, young and naive. I only thought, get your hands out of my vagina. Months later, I told my mother about the feeling and the confusion. Is this how it's supposed to be? Even then I knew it was not right. Shocked and upset having bore me, she felt the feeling as if it were hers, and she whispered, "Get your hands out of my vagina." Years later, I talked to my cousin. She said you touch and felt the same way. Still, maturing and unsure, she kept still. as the words flamed inside her get your hands out of my vagina and then your son met a girl and you met one too her sister you enjoy the touch of the sweet girl's vagina i don't know all that happened but all i know is that i never heard her yell get your hands out of my vagina your grandsons were born and you smiled and so did i as they had no vagina But then the maid servants came and you got busy and you had so many because they all came unknowingly but they soon left though their poverty kept them from saying what they were truly wishing get your hands out of my vagina then the day came where you were to be let back into my life we let you come to america and i sucked it up the family and even my aunt your wife knew about how you liked touching but in our good desi way kept it hush for what would people think if we actually said get your hands out of my vagina then the worst and best thing happened you were set free i was promised that you were done touching and were cured and then you found another young girl and this time you were told get your hands out of my vagina finally the truth was told and i am sad that it had to happen again to another young girl the light was truly drawn on you that you've never been truly punished all the girls could only look at you with disgust but could never say a thing today i have the courage and strength and on behalf of my cousin my bhabhi my mother's heart the servants the countless unknown girls your wife and myself i finally shout and cry uncle ji please get your fucking hands out of my vagina Revisiting written by Shruti Trivari For the longest time I thought of my vagina as just a nuisance that raised its ugly head without fail every month with massive potential for embarrassing me 
Fortunately, I lived in a time of disposable pads and tampons, which spared me any gory messes that the vagina was capable of inflicting on me. After all these years, my vagina paid its dues and befriended me when it stretched and strained while I heaved and hawed to bring my two children into this world. I thanked it kindly and went on with my blissful life of messy diapers, sore nipples and sleepless nights. The vagina was all but forgotten. The South Asian sisters' call for submissions made me revisit my old pal and think of it as a complete entity, worthy of its own written piece, its own word document, its own song and dance, and everything else that follows.
That was Ravi Shankar playing a morning raga. This is Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA. And we're featuring stories from the Yoni Kibat by the South Asian Sisters. Full Circle has been in existence for 20 years now. But the first voice apprenticeship program has been training women and people of color since 1985. Up next, one of our First Voice elders, Joy Moore, shares some KPFA history. Then we'll return with more Yoni Kibat. Here's Joy. Hello, this is Joy Moore, graduate KPFA apprentice of Group 20 in La Cache, and I'm part of that Full Circle production team. All of us here volunteered to be part of this venerable, beloved community radio station and we marvel at its inception and longevity. Many of you may know the history, and some don't, but KPFA signed on the air April 15, 1949, as the first Pacifica radio station and remains the flagship station of the Pacifica radio network. Launched three years after the Pacifica Foundation was created by pacifist Lewis Hill, KPFA became the first station in the Pacifica radio network and the first listener-sponsored radio broadcaster in the United States. We are fully supported by our listening audience and community. We depend on you to keep this free speech community radio station and the Pacifica Network going. I'm coming to you now to ask for your support, however you can. You can stretch your payments out, put them on a credit card, or mail a check to KPFA 1929 Martin Luther King Way in Berkeley, California, 94704. Folks, please give what you can now. Support us however you can. We cannot do this without you, our loving, listening audience. Go to kpfa.org donate and donate what you can now. Also, I'm asking you take this opportunity to spread the word about the history and value of your local community free speech radio station, KPFA Pacifica, and the Full Circle Program, which airs every Friday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on KPFA 94.1 FM or online at kpfa.org. Thanking you all in advance for your support. This is Joy Moore. Take care. To donate, go to kpfa.org and click on the Donate Now button. That's kpfa.org. Donate now. Now we hear an interview hosted by then-apprentice Pema Chokan of Kiva, Group 23, and First Voice Director Amelia Gonzalez-Garcia, speaking with a group of the South Asian Sisters. You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA. Tonight we have woman from Yoniki Bad, a South Asian vagina monologues. Joining us in the studio, we have Sapna Shahini, Sumita Sen, and Shalini Adams. Welcome. Thank you. So can you tell us about the birth story of the vagina monologues? Well, the vagina, it's actually a South Asian show that's been inspired by the vagina monologues that Eve Ensler put together in New York. And... Our group, the South Asian Sisters, um, we've been around for, we're pretty new, we've been around only for a year or so, and we were inspired by a show that 
took place in Bangalore, India, and um, it was a pretty controversial show, and we were sad to hear about the negative feedback that they received as well as positive. But um, we were surprised to hear that um, certain people took offense to the use of the word vagina and the connotations of that. And so we were inspired to bring that um, experience here. And the lady that put that show together happened to visit the United States and do a workshop and a few of us participated and from there the um, idea was sort of born and we went on to put put out a call for submissions and we got an enormous response. A lot of people replied to our emails and submitted creative works which we later organized into the show. So what criteria did you use in selecting the stories? I mean, what was it that called to you in in pulling them together? Well, we had a few women who were sort of editors of the project, and we very loosely um, organized the script based on... We wanted to have the most variety of voices heard, and so we, we didn't really take out anyone's piece that um, unless they had multiple submissions and then we also wanted a variety of flavors or different ideas expressed in the different pieces and so we sort of focused on that but we didn't cut a lot out we we were afraid that our show was going to be too long but it turned out that we could in- incorporate every uh, mostly everyone's submissions and so it it worked out pretty well. In many of the um, the stories and, and the writing of, of the women, there's a reference to the Desi woman. Can you, in a few words, describe who that is? The term Desi is really a colloquial um, word that a lot of us in um, America use when we refer to women of Indian ancestry or people of Indian ancestry. Desh basically means my country, and Desi is a person of that country, in this case being India. Um, I think the Desi women who responded to the call for submissions came from various parts of the country, so there's really no category that they would fall into. They're just Indian women who were willing and open about speaking and um, sending in their experiences. So one of your goals is to create an online uh, feminist community that promotes the leadership of South Asian women and build community across um, geographical and educational background. Who is part of this community? How do you do this? Well, we started out actually a group of friends that sort of thought alike, and we decided that we would use our time together in a really constructive way. which was to start building a website for um, to be a resource for women of South Asian descent in the Bay Area and Colorado, which is where we have some members as well. And um, so it just developed from there. We started having meetings. We did outreach in the community. We um, hosted a panel on feminism at a conference called the South Asian Progressive Conference in San Francisco, where a lot of progressive South Asian organizations came together um, and it was really fascinating and we got a lot of response. It turned out that there were tons of women that that felt like us who felt this need for role models who were progressive in the South Asian community and 
just, you know, events and activism that related to that. And so we started, you know, developing our mailing list and listserv and website and it all sort of fell together and we wanted to do an event and we were inspired by the vagina monologues and the woman who put it on in India and we went ahead and, and, and did this and it just blew us away. The show was enormously successful. We sold out twice um, at UC Berkeley in the summer and so we um, are hoping to take the show on the road or um, we're getting offers in, from a lot of different areas and the possibilities are endless. We might do a lot of different things with it. Are you thinking about taking it to India too? I think India would be a little too far, unfortunately. But um, since, you know, we've heard that the show was put on in Bombay and elsewhere and even in Pakistan, which is uh, really impressive and um, next year, the V-Day event is going to be in Pakistan. And we were lucky enough to meet Eve Ensler and talk to her. And she was very supportive of the show. And she sort of gave us a, a little direction or not really feedback, but support in terms of um, going ahead and doing the show. Was there a lot of reworking in the, in the writings uh, that were submitted? I mean, did you find yourself maybe reworking something to reflect some sensitivity to a community or or any of that? Well, actually, uh, all these works are original. Mm-hmm. None of it is, has been taken from Eve Ensler's um, book. The show is inspired by the Vagina Monologues, and we put out a call for original submissions. And so all of these different literary pieces are original. Um, so we didn't really rework them. What we did, we may have changed a couple of words here and there because we took it from the page to the stage. And so there were a couple of things that we had to change, but they were really minor. Uh, For the most part, we've stayed true to whatever was submitted to us. And we've sort of been diligent about how we presented things because we, for example, um, sent out an email to all the people who submitted asking them if they wanted to keep their names anonymous. And that was sort of a concern um, because we didn't want it is it is a controversial show and it is a it, it, you know a lot of people shared very personal um, feelings and stories from their lives and so we 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 had to be very careful about using names. You just heard the voice of Sapna Shahami. She's with us uh, here as well as Sumita Sen and Shalini Edens. And you're listening to Full Circle, and we're talking about the South Asian. Vagina Monologues, Yoni Kibat. And uh, we're having this conversation with Pema. I'm Amelia. And I wanted to get your input, Sumita. I wanted uh, to ask you, there are, there are so many topics that you're talking about in the monologues. You're talking about what it's like to be an immigrant. You're talking about giving birth. You're talking about molestation. There's There are a lot of topics that um, are incorporated in these uh, monologues that you're having. What did it mean for you to choose the selections that you chose to uh, to read? And was there any any arc, so to speak, in the reading of it? I think that from a lot of the people, a lot of the women that were in Yoniki Bath, um, they chose them based on how they could relate, whether it was personally or other friends or family that had been through similar experiences. I know for me personally, the one that I wrote, that I read, 
was not an experience that I had been through, but at the same time, the more I became familiar with it, I kind of enveloped it. And I think all of us could in some way, shape, or form relate to the stories and to the words that were being spoken. So in many ways, as we got on stage and performed the pieces, it was like parts of our lives as well. Sumita? I'd like to add to that that when we first got together to choose the pieces, we were very clearly informed by Sapna, who sort of directed the show and held our hand at the first meeting, to um, pick the pieces that we felt most comfortable with, and we were given completely free reign on that. No piece was dictated to us as the one that we would read. And so when we scanned through them, we were able to just pick up the ones that we related to and felt comfortable with, which made it really quite wonderful. So you managed to incorporate the complexity of what it's uh, like to be a woman and and even just relating to your vagina as a liability at moments and a tremendous gift at others. Samna, do you want to talk about what what called you to do this project? I think for me it was really the fact that I personally was um, took alarm at the fact that this show happened in Bangalore and these lawyers came out and were upset by it. And that bothered me. Um, you know, I remember thinking that um, this is this is something to be praised and lauded as, you know, and not to be shunned. And um, I've, you know, I've only been in this country for six years. And before that, I've contended with issues like this myself. And so it seemed like this would be a good vehicle to deal with that battle. So it just, it came from there and then it's just been, it's taken on its own form. And of course, I think, you know, a lot of people that do plays or events or performances of any kind sort of see that with the people that become involved and with the writings, it it takes on a, a form of its own. But it's been, you know, a fruitful and incredible experience that I'd never imagined it would be. So, so it's really lots of fun and and um, the pieces that were submitted, the range of things that were talked about, that really made a lot of us um, very excited and, and, and gave us a lot of uh, strength, in a, in a sense. Um, the piece about Gujarat, that's you know particularly close to um, our hearts because the, this horrible event happened last year with a lot of women who were specifically attacked in non-secular violence sectarian violence I guess you can call it and and so we were really glad that was a last minute addition and there are pieces about molestation that is really widespread in India and very sad um, trend that's been happening and so it's really good to speak out on something like that because it really doesn't get spoken out about enough we've just been happy to um, talk about things like that. Mm-hmm. We've heard from a lot of women that when you hear about all of these different expressions of of what it means to be a woman and be comfortable being a woman and and all of that and and they come out sort of feeling empowered by the ideas. Well, you've been listening to a conversation with Sapna Shahami, Sumita Sen, and Shalini Edens, and we've been talking about the South Asian vagina monologues, Yoni Kibat. And you're listening to Full Circle. I want to thank you all for joining us tonight and sharing the readings that were wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA Radio 94.1 FM. 
and we're featuring stories from the Yoni Kibat by the South Asian Sisters. The KPFA Fun Drive is winding down, and Sharon Peterson, one of our First Voice graduates, shares why listener support is so important. Let's listen. Hello, I'm Sharon Peterson from Apprentice Group 43, Drylongso Rising. Drylongso is old African-American slang, meaning ordinary people. All of us ordinary people must rise and keep on rising. The First Voice Apprenticeship Program teaches the arts of radio, growing new voices that deserve to be heard. Apprentices go to their communities and bring their voices to radio. First Voice changes lives. They sure changed mine. Every Friday at 7 p.m., we come to you on Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. We talk about what's wrong, but you'll also meet the good people who work to make things right, and we suggest what you can join in the efforts. In these times, we all need musical and cultural healing. We bring you that, too. First Voice and Full Circle are vital parts of KPFA's mission to tell truth to and about power and what we can do about it. KPFA is listener-sponsored radio, radio for our community. You hear stories, topics, and music you can't find anywhere else. You also get calls to action. KPFA stands for Storytelling for Social Change. We will not kneel to corporate interests. We don't even let big bad business fund us. This means we depend on you, our listeners, to sponsor ever-vigilant, truth-telling radio. As sponsors, your main gift is to keep hearing radio that is uniquely informative, entertaining, and empowering. And you deserve even more than that. So, in addition to life-changing radio, tonight we offer, for any donation amount, that's right, any amount, a 90-minute talk from Vietnamese monk, soldier, and peace activist Thich Nhat Hanh, recorded in 1993 at Berkeley Community Theater. Thich Nhat Hanh was said to be the father of engaged Buddhism. He left us last January 22nd at age 95. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1967. He led a Buddhist delegation to the Paris Peace Talks in 1969. Due to his anti-war activism, North and South Vietnam exiled him for 39 years. He founded Plum Village in France, the largest Buddhist monastery in the West. Thich Nhat Hanh's talk is KPFA's gift to you during this fun drive for any level of donation. We'll never ask you to give till it hurts, but we do ask that you give what you can. The easiest way is to visit kpfa.org or call us at 1-800-439-5732 to receive Thich Nhat Hanh's talk or any other thank you gifts. If you can go online, please visit kpfa.org. We do pay for the phone service, but if you cannot go online, please call 1-800-439-5732.
That was Dreamy Elephant, composed and played by Yama Choyan Randrol, a black Buddhist monk. And now our final segment of Yoniki Bot readings from the South Asian sisters. This bush fight a war on her behalf. This bush cares not about her right to choose whether she wants to carry another being inside of her. Bush cares not that one in four of her sisters on this American soil is brutalized in her lifetime. So Bush certainly cares not that her brown sisters in this war will be left homeless and hungry. Bush, my vagina feels manipulated, exploited, with her name so heinously taken in vain. This Bush feels not her essence. This Bush knows not her peace. My vagina says, not in my name. Sati. He raped her. He was married to her, so it really didn't matter. Oh, it happened in the days when women got married before they reached 11. She didn't even have her period then. He was 24. I guess today you'd call him a pedophile. Then they called him her savior. So she came back home. Mama, do you think she ever had an orgasm? Do you? Need I? At 13, she had his first son. You'd call her a child mother. Him I call grandfather. They fell asleep holding hands. She died soon after he did, like a good wife. Identifying with My Vagina, written by Rupa Patel. I was a genie last Halloween. I felt like I was red hot, that any man in his right mind wouldn't question the sexuality that I was oozing. Every man wanted me. Every woman wanted to be me. There was only one problem. My vagina didn't necessarily want to be me. My vagina can communicate in ways that I can't. My vagina can say, Hello, how are you? in the most seductive way, whereas my voice will not be able to overcome the nasal twang that rears his head every time I'm flirting with some guy I'm interested in. Be your vagina's best friend is a piece of advice that an old boyfriend gave me. Well, my vagina and I barely got to the acquaintance stage. Needless to say, despite all the seemingly bottomless sexuality, my vagina was very lonely indeed. She can't lie to herself. She can't lie, period. My vagina is really a self-effacing little girl underneath the feasty sexual act. She can be bent into submission one night, and then the next day she can ride a false wave of elation. She kneels to the ground, emphasizing her broken spirit. The source of her pain is also the source of great pride, showing others that she is capable, proud, and worthy of love. My vagina is smart. She knows about the world outside her vagina, but can't be bothered to learn about herself. She likes knowing that other vaginas and penises support her efforts to be a free vagina. But she can't break the barrier to knowing her own vagina. Now, am I talking about myself? Or am I speaking of my vagina? My vagina weeps. My vagina keeps me in check. It weeps by bleeding when things just aren't right. If I'm on drugs like mushrooms, ecstasy, even weed, 
I bleed and she weeps, and then I have to wear a jacket around my waist, drugged out with a bunch of my tweaking friends. If I've had a hard workout, I bleed, she weeps, and my sweat turns to stank. If I get nervous about my mom finding out where I've been all weekend, um, in my boyfriend's bed, hi Ram, I bleed, my vagina weeps. If I think about all the abusive things my father has done to my mother, I bleed and my vagina weeps. If I think of rape, white supremacy, or nuclear war, then you can find me hauling ass to the nearest Walmart to buy more pads because my vagina will have nightmares when I'm sleeping. Some may say that my vagina is messy and that I'm downright unstable. I say my vagina, besides serving so many other purposes, is the only measuring tool of my sanity. If something is wrong that I'm just too stubborn to recognize, my vagina keeps me in check by shedding tears of blood. Unfortunately, this is too far-fetched for my physicians to believe, so they all make up reasons like ovulatory bleeding. But how exactly can I bleed two weeks into my cycle one month, five days the next, and 18 days the next, especially when ovulatory bleeding is a cyclic thing? I am not the victim of a delicate cycle. I just got a handy-dandy sanity-checking vagina. And if my vagina didn't have this nifty little feature, I'd be screwed because I wouldn't have any connection to my subconscious. I'd be going through my many uncomfortable moments by internally bleeding over and over again, and then one day my insides would just explode. And I'm not too interested in dying like that. I'd rather weep one moment and enjoy the next, no matter how unstable I may seem. And I'm so grateful that my body and soul can finally be connected because my vagina weeps. New Wedding Day. In grief, I plunged into your grave, pride opened your chest, blood drenched my hands as I searched for that big heart that you boasted about. What I found was a flaccid clump, deformed by the bludgeons of others. Encrusted with mistrust, preoccupied with vanity and self-service. My lips crack and bleed, my fingers gnarl in anguish, my breasts reek of pus, my uterus yanked out, sizzles under your cruelty. And then I awake with a jolt of joy to the sweet sound of grace in my own bed, made sacred again by solitude, to hear my own heart shrieking with yearnings that cannot be quiet, vulnerable to festive possibilities, with a trembling hope for happiness, gasping for dear life and love, because I still bleed every month, you see, and I am free in this home of the brave where I have taken a lover. This wounded city, I love you even more. We both grieve our loss with a penchant for play and rigor for reconstruction. We crawl out of the rubble in my bright red sari to the drums of survival on my new wedding day. Take back the light. I want to celebrate my yoni, but the drumbeat of in my body is Gujarat. Gujarat, where Hindu fascists raped, murdered, mutilated thousands of Muslim women. I always gloried in my Hindu tradition that made my body sacrament, carved yonis as temple doorways, named my pussy the substrate of creation. But I can't block the screams from Ahmedabad, Baroda, as Hindu men rip out my sister's vaginas. Can't paint over the avid faces of Hindu women as they urge their boys to finish, finish her off. I hear bloodlust. 
I used to be smug when Catholic and Jewish friends mourned their tradition of guilt, the fall of Eve, mortal sin, shame of the carnal, torture of childbirth, women's punishment for sex. I waved my Hindu saffron banners, Khajurao, Ajanta and Alora. My religious crest and rampant Devi squatted to birth the world. My creation story was Shiv Shakti, the Big Bang Cosmic f- That Place Between Your Legs, written by Ashwini Amburajan. In first grade, I had a friend that introduced me and another Indian kid, Brijesh, to the wonders of the female body. Tina Lakar had taken her pants off behind the bushes that acted as a hedge around apartment complex D at Brookside Condos and shown us what was down there. She was the bad kid who knew about sex. She put her yellow-white butt on the still moist spring ground of wood chips, pulled her pants down to her knees, her legs apart as if about to give birth, and we saw white and pink. And she said, that's where we came out of. Brijesh was silent, in awe of this woman. Well, I had to argue, you can see the stitches on my mom's stomach where they cut her open to take me out. No, babies come out of here. And she pointed very emphatically, her finger jabbing at her vaginal opening. Babies come out of here. And you have to breathe loud and go, until it comes out. But I didn't come out of there. Yeah, prove it. Could I prove it? Could I run back to my mother and tell her that she had to lift up her shirt and show her stomach that was halved by an inept surgeon who hadn't had the foresight to try and minimize the meat cleaver incision he had made on my mom's stomach? Could I tell this conservative woman who one day expected me to enter into the hellish state of arranged marriage that she lived in that I needed to prove to Tina Lakar, official first grade bad girl at St. Joseph Primary School, that babies did not come out of that place between your legs? Until recently, I couldn't accept that I had a yojina, which is what I like to call my yoni. My tut, as I used to call her, was something to be tolerated and endured, smelly, bloody, and unpredictable. While I've been living in the States for 28 years, my yojina is still a fob. Actually, that's not quite true. It all started in 10th grade. Danny was so sweet and charming, For Valentine's Day, he melted homemade chocolate into rose molds. With Danny, I had my first kiss, my first view of a lingam, my first holding hands at the movies. After a year or so, the eventful day arrived. I made sure to shower very well that morning because something inside me knew it would be the day that I lost my virginity. About five in the evening, Danny and I resumed to our regular activities of getting stoned and hanging out at my friend's mansion. Slowly, we made our way to the guest bedroom, me on top of him. And while he didn't exactly object much, I practically forced him inside me. There was nothing sacred about her, just another part of my body. And afterwards, I thought to myself, glad I got that over with. We slept together three more times until one night. Danny and I were on the phone. I guess he was feeling a little aroused. It was late. We were both in bed and he was trying his best to allure me into a little phone sex. What are you wearing, he asked. Tell me about the last time we were together. 
After about 10 minutes of persuasion, he started to moan a little. All the while, I kept hearing clicking noises and shuffling of papers. I would say to Danny, I think someone's listening. What are those noises? Danny would reply, relax, you're paranoid, with a long-winded exhale. It turned out, my dad reclined on the toilet seat, flipping through the latest issue of Hustler, was listening to our conversation. Then he appeared. My dad's two scrawny legs in shorts silhouetted against the bathroom light. Get off the phone. A quick click, and he comes over to my bed, grabs me by my wrist, and drags me out of the bed and into the kitchen. There he places me on a stool in the center of the kitchen, at which point he yells out, Dimple! Dimple! My mom comes rushing out of bed. Then, with all of his might, he whacks me across the face. I'm now on the floor. He keeps kicking me. My mom tries to get in the middle. He yells out, Dimple, watch me kill my daughter tonight. And the night goes on. It's strange to me how much I hurt my parents unknowingly. Before that day, I was never given the sex talk and I assumed that virginity was something to get rid of, a looming and undesirable label. After that day, I began to chime into the South Asian community and I realized the exact opposite, that a healthy sexual life for an unmarried woman is shameful. So the label switched from prude to whore. And that is when the denial began. Before then, she, Myogina, was a mystery, a powerful force. And after my parents' educational intervention, she became a burden. The burden of yearning for intimate love and pleasure, God forbid, an orgasm, but constantly suppressing my feelings to maintain a respectable image. But the tides turned once again. See, I finally met someone, an Indian man no less, who has taught me how to love her, appreciate her, and listen to her in all her majestic, life-giving, gulab jamun, rest-tasting glory, and there's no need to pretend that she doesn't have feelings anymore. That brings us to the end of tonight's Full Circle. I've been your host, Ms. M, and I'm the current First Voice Training Director. Free Women Frank Sterling is our irreplaceable technical director. Joy Moore is our production consultant. And Basim Al-Haddad, Pamela Lyons, and Shallow Burton of Group 46 are our apprentice production team in training. Let's please remember to be kind to one another. La Onda Bajita is next.